Hello, good morning everybody. It is lovely to be with you. This is preach number three for me. So in case my voice gives out, my wife is going to come and read uh, the scripture for us, if that's all right, and we'll grab the microphone, I'm sure. Um, So it's going to come up on the screen in front of you. Go for it. Great. So this is 1 Samuel 14, verse 1 to 15, Jonathan's daring plan. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sinner. Let's go across to the outposts of these pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet and the Philistines fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Brilliant. Thanks, Diane. Love that story. Thanks, Diane, for reading that. Well, good morning. Yeah, well, you can applaud my wife. That's allowed. Well, it's lovely to be with you this morning. I hope you're doing really well. It's nice to be in an air-conditioned room. I've just come from the university. No air conditioning. They're melting. So you're welcome. Um, Quick update from the Johnson household, because it's now gone out on Instaface or or Snapgram or one of those things. Uh, My daughter and uh, son-in-law are expecting a baby in December. So it's exciting news for the Johnson household, um, which causes a couple of issues for me. I mean, obviously, the first one is obvious that clearly I'm far too young to become a grandfather. I'm sure you'd all agree. Um, The second one is you've got the dilemma of how are you going to be known? What are you going to be called? So I was talking with one of my sons about it. You know, am I I going to be Papa? Am I going to be Grandad? I'm going to be Grandpa? Without blinking, he said, I think you should be called Grumps. Grumps Johnson. (laughs) So that just says what I'm up against, uh, really. Anyway, um, this morning, the good news is I've got preacher's choice, which, no surprise, means I get to decide on what we're talking on today. And I just want to give you a little bit of the inside track, a peek behind the curtain, if you will, of how I go about um, preparing a talk. Because I've learnt, I've learnt the hard way that communicating clearly is very important. It's come at great cost. Uh, I was saying to some of our leaders just this week about a text Um, A while back, I was sending a lady um, in the church, and I was trying to be gracious and considerate. And so I was writing this text to her, which said, um, uh, I was trying to write, uh, don't worry if you can't make tonight's meeting, as I know you're busy. But unfortunately, I'm all thumbs, and what I actually wrote was an extra T. So I wrote, don't worry if you can't make tonight's meeting, 
as I know you're busty, which um, <laughs> is not the kind of message you want. Fortunately, I caught it in time and didn't send it. My wife, however, she, I've got a permission to share this, was, was less fortunate recently. She was arranging to see somebody, and um, they, they figured out the time, and she just thought, she didn't have my glasses on, she thought she just sent them the, the thumbs up emoji. Went back to it later on when she had her glasses, and she'd sent them the middle finger emoji. <laughs> Which, if you, um, if you know my wife, it's not really her. Um, so now I've learned, I want to be really clear, crystal clear about communication. Um, so here's what I try and do. I try and boil down, maybe if you do public speaking, you do this too, try and boil down into one phrase or one sentence. What's the one thing I'm trying to communicate? What, what's the one thing I want to get across to people? The second thing I try to do, and I write this at the top of my page, is why should people listen? Um, because obviously, just because you know, I've got the microphone and the doors are locked, I shouldn't assume that you're going to engage with everything I say. Um, I want to be able to give you reasons why you should listen. I wasn't allowed to lock the doors. The fire wardens wouldn't let me. But, so let me try and cover the two of those things that I do in my preparation as we start out here this, this afternoon. The one thing we want to talk about today, the one thing I want to look at is teams. I want to talk about teams. I want to talk about the Bible and teams. I want to talk about how God loves teams. I want to talk about leading in teams and being part of a team. That's the one thing we want to talk about. So why don't you turn to the person next to you, say this phrase to them, I've got it up on the screen, or come up. Um, I'm pretty sure he's talking about teams this morning. Just say that to the person next to you. Let's get clear about that. Great. We've established that. We're going to be talking about teams. Um, why, should we why should we listen? Why should we look at the subject of teams? Let me try and convince you. Let me give you some reasons. Um, well, firstly is I think that Scripture tells us that when we cooperate with one another, when we work well together, then there's the favour of God available to us. Psalm 133, I looked at it last time I spoke, says, where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, there the Lord commands a... There the Lord commands a blessing. Which one of us doesn't want the blessing of God? I remember Christmas time, the... Presents I was most excited about were the presents from the richest people in the family. Yeah, they were the ones I'm most excited about. The God of the universe wants to bless us if we'll work well with one another, if we'll do things with unity. Who doesn't want that? Not only that, it's a very biblical thing to do. The word teams doesn't actually appear in the Bible, but it's illustrated everywhere. I'm okay with that. The word trinity doesn't actually appear in the Bible, but it's illustrated everywhere. I'm okay with that. So the Bible is full of teams. Everything from Moses and Aaron and Miriam working it together right the way through to Jesus himself. And you'd have thought that if anybody could just go solo, it would be Jesus. But no, at every opportunity, he models working with others. He goes around with 12 disciples. He works with 72, wider group of disciples. And when he sends them out on mission, he sends them out in pairs. It's all about doing it together. Even the superstars of the Bible, you know, if you take somebody like the Apostle Paul, you could think he's like on head and shoulders, surely he's, he's, he's the main man with the ministry, he's the pedestal preacher. But actually when you start to look at it in Scripture, he was always working in teams. I've got up on the screen just a list of some of the people that we know about. There are probably others. These are some of the people mentioned in Scripture that Paul works with. So he's constantly working in teams. In fact, 
The time he doesn't get working team is when they all desert him, and he complains about that and says, everybody has left me. He wants to work in team. But perhaps despite all of that, the thing that maybe convinces me the most that we need healthy, quality teams in church life is not just those references, but actually the fact that every time leadership is mentioned in the New Testament, it's mentioned in the plural. So it's elders, plural, and deacons, plural. And if you're not convinced, here's 20 references to get your teeth into. We are not going to be going through all of them this morning. You could always take a photo of them and then, let's be honest, probably not look at them later on. But convinced, um, believe me, those are 20 references where it talks about elders and deacons. The Bible is full of teams. Everywhere we see in Scripture, leadership is shared. And yet, so often, in churches and church life, it ends up being about, let's be honest, one man and his ministry. And that so often is the case. There is, obviously, there are some pluses to that. You get all of that one man's strengths, and he can make decisions quickly. But I want to suggest to you it's dangerous because you also get all of their weaknesses. And there aren't the checks and balances that we normally need to see. And I want to suggest that this time now is the time to emphasize team and work on team. It's never been more important than it is right now. Because many of us across this room will either have experienced firsthand or read in the Christian press about some high-profile pedestal preacher who's fallen by the wayside, either got caught in some terrible secret sin or burnt out through exhaustion. We need to rediscover the power and the importance of teams because it's biblical and we want to do everything we do within King's Arms through teams. That's why we form teams around everything we do. Everything from the youth group through to the reception, through to the trustees, through staff, everything we want to do through teams because that way we've got safety and security and we've got a balance of gifts across the church. And then finally, if that all wasn't enough to convince you, can we go back one slide just for a minute? Is that all right? If that wasn't enough to convince you, um, I want to reflect to you that um, working in team enables us to reflect something of God's heart in the way that we couldn't do on our own. Um, When Satan tempts Jesus, and this is where the next slide becomes relevant, where Satan tempts Jesus, remember one of the ways he tempts him. He takes him up to the high place and says, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you'll only bow down and worship me. In other words, Satan wants to be on the pedestal. He wants to be the number one guy and wants everybody else to bow down to him. He wants to be top dog, like the spider at the center of the web. That's the way the devil wants things. By contrast... God exists in community. We go on to the next slide. He exists in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So that means from eternity past through to eternity future, God has existed in community with this beautiful giving and receiving of honor and love. And when we work together in a tiny, um, obviously imperfect way, we can begin to reflect something of that community. Um, A million years ago, back in 1987, I went to university. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who wasn't born back in 1987, because that will just convince me that I should be a granddad. But back in 1987, I went to uni, and uh, I quickly kind of connected with a guy called Mark, who was on my course, who was a Christian. And then we made very quickly friends with a guy called uh, Simon, and uh, he had digs on the campus, and we used to go up to his digs 
um, in the lunch breaks to watch this new program from Australia called Neighbours. Um, so that was, how, that was how law students spent their afternoons. So we were watching Neighbours. Um, but we, Mark and I also went along to the local uh, Christian unions, part of, the, part of the uni there. And uh, we made a bunch of friends. And as a result, we would get to meet people from the, the Christian unions as we were walking around campus. And after a few weeks, Simon was was trying to do the maths on it all because he, he wasn't a believer from a tough background in South London. Um, didn't quite get how come Paul and Mark know all of these people um, around the university. And um, we sat and had lunch with them occasionally and things like that. And we said to him, well, actually, it's because we're both Christians and we both go along to the Christian Union. And in the course of the conversation, we ended up talking about how we're about to do the CU weekend away. And halfway through the conversation, Simon says, well, would it be right if I come? And we're like, uh, yeah, sure, okay. I, I tell you, it was in at the deep end for Simon because we went away to this grotty hostel. The food wasn't great and didn't have a lot of sleep, but we had an absolute blast. And he's there with us in these worship, powerful worship times and ministry times. And you could see to begin with, it was really through him. But he began to become intrigued. Well, I guess it was probably about two months later that Simon asked me up to his uh, digs at the uni, and um, he was a very studious, very thorough kind of guy, and he said to me, Paul, I've been looking into Christianity, I've been investigating it, um, looking into whether it's true and whether it's real, and I'm utterly convinced that Jesus did live and did die and was raised to life again, and that he is the Son of God, and I'd like to give my life to him. Will you pray with me? I said, all right then. <laughs> And we prayed together, and there was this beautiful moment as he gave his life to God. But it started when he caught something of the way we were together. It was powerful. He experienced Christianity before he heard about it. He could see that it was real, that it was something there. And it might even be this morning that, that you're here, and you're a bit like Simon. You're kind of looking in. Maybe you wouldn't say you're a believer or a follower of Jesus this morning, but yet in some way... You just kind of feel drawn to these people. It's like there's some kind of appeal or, or attraction and you can't quite define it. I've heard many people say to me, like, I'm not a believer, but when I come here, I, I feel like I've come home. And maybe God is doing a work in your life in just the way that he did in Simon's. So I'm suggesting you, for all those reasons, teams are absolutely indispensable. We need them for king's arms, but we also need them as part of a building block for society around us. And you may or may not be part of a team here at King's Arms. I hope you are, but you may also be in a position of responsibility or part of a team in the workplace. Or maybe it's that you've got an extended family. In effect, you play some kind of leadership role in the family team, if you like. So having seen that teams are crucial and they've never been more important than they are now, that then begs the next question. Well, if teams are so important to God, how do we do them well? What does a good team look like? In other words, how do we form healthy teams? What makes them work? And I want, in the remaining time today, just to suggest you two essential ingredients. I want to give you a couple of reasons as to why and how we can make teams healthy and effective where we are. And that's where the wonderful story of Jonathan and his armor bearer becomes relevant. Just to give you a little bit of the context that we didn't get at the start, um, the Israelites, the people of God, are fighting the Philistines, who for many years have been a thorn in the side of God's people. And they worshipped the, the uh, god Baal, 
and they were a vicious, violent group of people who intimidated and bullied the, the people of God for many years. In one battle alone, they killed 34,000 Israelites. So they're a fearsome enemy. And then in that same battle, they stole the Ark of the Covenant. So they're kind of their arch enemies. And we see in Jonathan there a longing for things to shift. He's not comfortable with the status quo. He wants things to be different. And the first thing I want us to recognize from this story is that Jonathan has in his heart a longing for adventure. If teams are to be effective and healthy, they need to have this sense of adventure. Some people call it vision. Some people call it purpose. I don't mind too much what you call it, but we need to have it. Um, I personally, when somebody says to me, what's your vision for your life? I feel a little bit overwhelmed, like a rabbit in the headlights. I prefer to use the term adventure. Jonathan has this spirit of adventure in his heart. We read this in verse 6. He says this, Let's go across the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps, I love the word perhaps there. It's, it's not like the most confident plan. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few, a few. We get his heart there. He desperately wants to see freedom from oppression for God's people. What's God laid on your heart, I wonder? So Jonathan, we read on, has an idea. I'm not suggesting that this is the best plan ever in military history, okay? Um, they're climbing uphill. I've got here a photo of the region where they fought the battle, and you can see how rugged the terrain is. They're outnumbered 10 to 1, and to make matters worse, they've only got one sword between the two of them. The only thing they have got going for them in military sense is the element of surprise. That's the only thing they've got going for them. Which leads us on to part two of Jonathan's cunning plan. It says this, we will cross over and let them see us. It's like the one thing you had in your favor, you're now going to say, oh, hey guys, we're over here. Dumb idea. If they say come up and fight, then we'll take that as a sign that the Lord is helping us to defeat them. I didn't say it was a great plan. But there's this longing in there to make a difference. And every team we're part of, we need to know why it exists. What's the purpose of it? Have any of you ever been in a meeting, either in church or in the workplace, and if you're honest, partway through you're thinking, I'm not really sure what this is about. What, what is it we're trying to do? Um, I was in one um, just the week before last. Um, sadly, I was leading the meeting. Um, so it's always awkward when you're leading the meeting and you don't know what you're trying to do. But fortunately, I had Sue Smith there, and she helped me out, reminded me, this is what this meeting's about. Great, good, thank you for that. Um, and we got back on track. If you, we're going to be having healthy teams, we need to know what they're trying to do. It may sound obvious. We need to know what the point is. What's this about? What, what are we meant to be doing? Proverbs 29 famously says, without vision, God's people perish. So whatever it is, try and define what the adventure is together. Um, I have the privilege of serving on the pastoral team, um, the King's Arms here. And uh, it could be very easily the case that the pastoral team just reacts to whenever somebody has a crisis or a problem and we just kind of try and help and we sort of do our best and muddle along. And it could easily be kind of the Christian version of tea and sympathy. But to be honest, that's not enough for me to live for. That's, that's not a big enough goal. So we, we define the role as the pastoral team is that we want to be pastors, not just of, the of this church, but pastors of the town itself. That we, as a family of people, we're meant to be pastors of the town around us. And our role is not to try and sort everything out for people, but our role is actually to help people find strength in God. Because at the end of the day, I'm not enough. 
I don't, don't have enough wisdom, enough time, enough experience, enough energy. There's not enough of me and the rest of the team. It has to be Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus is the one they need. And so we're trying to point people to Jesus. And instead of it being a reactive thing on the back foot, it's a, this is what we're about. The action is out there, pastoring the town. Let's get healthy and whole so that we can pastor the town around us and lead them to know him. So whatever it is, find the adventure in the team that you're in. That's the first thing I want to highlight. The second one is just as important, but it often gets forgotten about. The second thing we see in this story is actually safety. It's vitally important. It's epitomized by this incredible armor bearer. I mean, what, what a legend. Um, it's a shame we don't hear his name in the story. Uh, he responds to, let's be honest, Jonathan's pretty dumb plan by saying this. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. The NIV translates it as, do all that is in your heart, do all that you have in mind to do, I'm with you heart and soul, which feels like a quote from Braveheart or something. I just love that sense of Jonathan is, uh, Jonathan's armor bearer is saying, I'm in this thing, I'm with you. Even though I don't get a sword, I'm in this thing to the very end. Notice that safety doesn't come from the adventure. In fact, the adventure is really risky and they could even lose their lives. Safety comes from the bond that they've built with one another. That understanding, that sense that they have one another's back. Safety within team comes from the trust that's built up. Trust is a precious commodity. It's not static, it's either growing or shrinking. The question is, in the teams that you're in, in the family, the community you're in, is it growing or is it shrinking? Trust is that sense of knowing that come what may, someone has your back. They're not going to leave you in the lurch. Trust means the freedom to be yourself, to lay down the mask and be yourself, warts and all. Trust is that sense of safety and being held so that you can try something new or reveal something vulnerable, the ugly part of you that you need help with. Trust is what makes teams a good place to be. That sense of safety and community needs to be fostered. It's a, it's a quality that so often gets overlooked. And secular organisations are discovering what the Bible has been communicating for centuries. Um, Google, um, it's an internet company, you may have heard of them. Um, they did a survey across 180 teams right around the world. Um, and they wanted to look at what makes teams effective. Behind the scenes, they didn't tell the participants this, but behind the scenes, they were, they were testing a hypothesis, and it was the belief that this first one on the screen here would be the one that mattered. That to have a healthy, effective team, you need a mix of gifts. You need kind of your programmers and your engineers and your software people. You need all the right people in the team, and then it will work. They did this survey right around different countries and cultures, and unequivocally, the answer came back, actually, that the number one thing that everybody wants in a team is safety. Do I feel secure or insecure in this team? Do I feel held or do I feel exposed? Do I feel safe to take risks or do I feel vulnerable in this team? Google spent a gazillion dollars. It may have been as much as two gazillion dollars on this survey. And it's discovering something the Bible could have told them for free. The way that we work with one another matters. The way that we are with one another matters. We're either adding to the sense of safety or we're detracting from it. 
Look at these beautiful words from Colossians 3. So many verses I could have chosen. But here's, here's some for example. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Isn't that just beautiful? Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord forgive you. So you must forgive. That's the spirit in which we operate in teams. Our lives together are meant to be characterized by safety. There's meant to be a quality of life that we experience together that the world is jealous of. And here's the big thing. If you get, take those two elements, if you take adventure and safety and put them together, then the effect is dynamite. Some of you out there like charts, don't you? Let's be honest. You like spreadsheets and charts. Well, I've done you a chart. Okay, you're welcome. So for, you could even do axes of these two things. There's a, on one level, there's safety, and on another axis, there's adventure. Uh, if you'd go on to the next slide for me, thank you. Uh, here, I filled it out for you. If you've got low sense of safety, like, I don't really trust these people, and low sense of adventure, well, I don't know why we're meeting, then you might be a warm body in the room, but mentally and emotionally, you checked out a long time ago. Alternatively, it might be that you're part of a team where the leader's like full of mission and goals and go, go, go and a bit driven. But there's no safety. These people would stab you in the back or throw you under the bus at the first opportunity. So you'll be there and go along with it as best you can. But really, you're protecting yourself. You've gone hedgehog. You've hunkered down on them. Alternatively, sometimes you get a situation where it's, it's a really warm and fuzzy, the sense of safety is high and we're, oh, we're held and it's all good and we really like each other and we, we have cakes every time we meet, but we don't actually know what the point is. We don't know why we're doing this. So you kind of sit back and just bask in the nice warmness of this, but it's like you're soaking in a jacuzzi. You're not really going anywhere. But have a team where there's a high sense of adventure like, this is the mission, this is why we're doing it, and there's a high sense of safety, well, then that's next level. The question then is, let's go. What, what's up? What's next? And you're going to go for it. We just sent uh, a couple of guys um, out to the Ukraine, uh, well, actually to Poland to deliver supplies to Ukraine. Some of you may know about it. Um, and they showed a video, hopefully maybe we'll show it here at some point, um, of the two of them, the, the journey there. The team that packed up the van... Uh, Graham was amongst them who's here today, and, and the two guys that drove out there, they had a high sense of mission. Um, they, they were doing something that mattered. We, our church has taken generators and supplies and food to Ukrainian refugees, but they also had this sense of purpose, of safety. They were in this thing together. The two together is dynamite. Safety means these things. Amy Edmondson, it's up here on the screen, is a psychologist who's done a lot of really good work on this. She would describe safety as this. It's the ability to be yourself. It's the freedom to make mistakes and it be okay. It's that sense of permission to ask questions. Even, you know, if you think it's a dumb idea to be able to ask that. The freedom to take risks and knowing that others have got you. And this is a big one, particularly in the British con uh, context. The ability to raise problems. And finally... The freedom to disagree if you need to. When we've got those things, then we're creating safety. Because otherwise, if people are just hunkered down, well, then they're going to go hedgehog. And it's going to affect the way that they are in team. Um, I've got a little hedgehog. He's hunkered down here. Um, because he doesn't want to appear ignorant in team meetings. He doesn't want to look incompetent. He certainly doesn't want to appear disruptive, because that wouldn't be good for his standing in the group. And he certainly doesn't want to be negative. So here's what he does. 
Well, he decides not to ask questions. If we go on to the next slide. Um, he doesn't admit his weaknesses or mistakes. He'll kind of cover them up. You don't offer ideas because you don't want to be disruptive. And you certainly don't want to critique anything because you don't want to be seen as the one who rocks the boat. Which one do we want to be? Do we want to be those that are fostering safety around us? Or do we want to be those that are causing others to hunker down? The good thing here as we come in towards the landing is I want us to realise that you may not always be the one who gets to define the adventure. Somebody else might be leading the team, particularly in the workplace. Um, but you always, always get the opportunity to influence the sense of safety in the room. That sense of uh, warmth, the team temperature, if you like. And all of us can play a part in that. As we land, four things that you could do to help with that. Number one is consistency, which is often underrated. Whatever team you're in, whether it's family setting, whether it's church, whether it's workplace, whatever, aim to be the same person every day. If you are happy-go-lucky, smiley, friendly, life and soul of the party one day and then snappy and awkward the next, people won't know where they stand with you. You'd be like, which, who have we got today? Is it Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? Is it that way around? Uh, whichever way around it is, Jekyll or Hyde. Um, they won't know who they're getting that day. Aim to be the same person every day. Humility. Uh, demonstrate humility especially when you receive feedback and criticism. Try and see feedback as an opportunity to learn rather than a character assassination. And you could even go the next step, invite somebody to give you feedback. Uh, invite, say, what did you think of that? How could I do that better? How do I come across? Be a learner in the group and it will communicate safety to everybody around you. Patience. This is worthy of a whole talk in itself, but we don't have the time which is ironic because it's patience. But anyway, <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul addresses all sorts of different people in different situations, people that are being idle, people that are weak, and he says, this is how you should be with these different people. But he says at the end, but in every one of these situations, apply patience. Just by consistently loving and being patient with people, you'll see change and influence where you are. And then lastly, encouragement. Um, I would say to you, don't do lazy encouragement. Lazy encouragement is, you know, see somebody on the band, oh, thank you for that today, you're amazing. Well, that's great. I mean, that's better than you're rubbish, but it's, it doesn't really help me in any way. If you think somebody's amazing, tell them why they're amazing. You, you know what? You're amazing. I love it when you leave because of this. Or I love it when you welcome us in the car park because of this. Or I love this about you. So it's specific. You could even, if you want to go for the A+, you could even go beyond that and send them a text or even write them a note of encouragement to tell them why you appreciate them. Little server here. How many of us here have had a thank you note and we've kept it for a while, either a text or a note, and we've just read it several times? Yeah? If you encourage somebody in writing, it will continue to feed them. Let's develop that kind of environment. And in doing so we create a world of safety around us. So as we come in for landing, this church needs healthy teams right across the board from the trustees through to the senior leaders through to the staff on reception through to our amazing car park team who are our first welcomers um, and are the smiling faces come rain or shine. We need teams wherever we are. We want to lead in team. This is not about having a superstar leader or 
a pedestal preacher. We need the mix and balance of the team. That's where safety is, but also where the blessing of God is. And I'm inviting you to partner with us. It might be here this morning that some of you have had negative experiences in other churches, or maybe even this one too. But I'd love to pray for us in a moment that you will experience healing here. That this will be the place where you can trust again. Where you can raise questions. Where even disagree in love. This is the place where we can work together. Where we can see that synergy of unity that attracts the favour of God. Not that we might be just blessed, although we will. But that we might be able to reach the world around us. Will you join me? on that journey. I'd love to pray for us as we come in for landing. Would you mind standing with me?